0: Grant me grace and fill me with your spirit that I might do something good for you and your people this evening. Please attend to me as I do this work that you've called me to do. And I pray these things for Christ's sake and for the sake of his church. Amen. Well, I hope you have your Bibles open to Genesis 42. Grant read from uh, the first half of chapter 42 and and the first and last parts of chapter 45 but our text is going to be the entirety of Genesis 42 through 45 so hang on Uh, like uh, last week for the sake of time we're gonna jump right in uh, so that we can cover this as we need to last week you're gonna remember uh, we stopped at a point where uh, the famine that God had not only revealed but ordained Uh, through Pharaoh's dream, had spread over all the land and was severe over all the earth. And this uh, severity apparently had overwhelmed um, Jacob's sons to the point that they had grown listless and lethargic and apathetic and maybe even a little despondent. And as Um, any good father would do, Jacob responded. Uh, Look at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Now, there are a few reasons why that might be, uh, why he didn't send Benjamin. It could have been because Benjamin was the last son of Rachel, and uh, he was the last tie that Benjamin had to that woman that he loved so dearly, that Jacob loved so dearly. It could have been uh, because Rachel's son, uh, because it, uh, Benjamin was Rachel's son that Jacob believed that he was the one through whom the promises would be um, fulfilled. Or it could have been Because Jacob had come to the conclusion over the last 20 years uh, that his sons had something to do with Joseph's death. Um, But regardless, Benjamin was Jacob's favorite, and he didn't want anything to happen to him like it happened to Joseph. So the other 10 left and went to Egypt without Benjamin, and because Joseph was uh, the one overseeing uh, the distribution of the grain and was in charge over Egypt. Uh, they arrived on his doorstep. And verse 6 says, they bowed themselves before him in their face, with their faces to the ground. And Joseph's dream that we heard about a few weeks ago was partially fulfilled. That first dream of his was partially fulfilled. And verse 7 says that Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. And by doing so, some believe that he was being a little vindictive. They believe that he was paying them back and exercising a little revenge. But I don't, I don't tend to agree with that because of just how the story plays out, um, I think things would have transpired a little differently had that been the case. Um, I think he spoke harshly to them uh, or spoke roughly with them. It was a way of keeping their heads bowed, right, in submission, and it was a way of keeping their eyes from meeting his, which would have kept him from being recognized because he needed time to figure out what he was going to do, having been overcome with the thoughts and emotions that probably were overwhelming him at that point, having not seen them for so long. And so, to begin with, he accuses them of being spies. They had come. He believed that, or he he accused them of being spies who, who had come to scout out Egypt and to find um, find maybe those weaknesses or their vulnerabilities in the midst of the famine. And they, of course, disagreed with them or with him vehemently. And they laid their case for why they weren't spies, and they were actually brothers. And they had all—they were all from one father. And they had also another brother who, who was with them no longer, who was no more, even though he was actually standing right there in front of him, uh, or in front of them. And they had a brother who remained at home, and without knowing it, they helped him devise the plan. From that point forward, look at verse 15. Joseph said, "By, by this you shall be tested." By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And then he puts them in prison for three days, and that gives him time to think through what he's going to do next, and and while they're in prison, he changes his mind Because 20 years earlier, the brothers had proven to be more concerned about themselves than they were for him. And he wanted to see if they remained the same. He he wanted to know if they had changed or not. And rather than keep nine, he decides to just keep one and send the other nine back. Because doing so... Would not only put them in a position of deciding if the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the one, but also would allow him to be more merciful to his family, to his father and to his brother's wives and to their children, because nine could carry more grain back to Canaan than one. And as they're standing there, they begin to assess the situation that they're in. Look at verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we're guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They may have been innocent in that moment. They may have been truthful. and They were brothers and not spies. But they weren't innocent 20 years earlier. They weren't innocent when they threw Joseph into the pit. They weren't innocent when they ignored his cries. In desperation, calling out for his life while they ate. And they weren't innocent of lying to their father. And what they didn't know was that Joseph, who had been speaking to them through an interpreter, knew everything that they were saying. Heard every word. And verse 24 says that he turned away from them and wept. Again, being overwhelmed by those thoughts and emotions. And once he regained his composure, he he returned and took Simeon and bound him. And then, quietly instructed his servants to fill their bags with grain, and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. And there are two ways to interpret this placing the money back in the sack. It could have been because he didn't want his family to pay for what they needed. I mean, he's in charge, and so why should they pay for the grain that was necessary for them to live? But it also could have been a part of the test of their character to see if they would return Simeon, or return for Simeon, even though they had their grain, they had their money, they had all the provisions that they needed for the trip, and all of which was far more than the 20 pieces of silver that they had received for Joseph. Or it could have been a combination of both. We don't know. But what we do know is that when the other bro- when, the, when one of the brothers found the bag of money in his sack, when they stopped for the evening and he was, they were feeding their animals, they were all, fear, uh, all filled with fear and panic, and they began to question the Lord. What is it that he's doing? This is repayment. What, 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 what is going to happen to us? And when they got home, and they were emptying their sacks, and they were filling Jacob in on everything that, that had happened, each of them began to find their money. And they were gripped with even more fear. And this fear led to Jacob digging in his heels. There was no way he was going to send Benjamin to Egypt. Nothing, including including Reuben's commitment to kill two of his own sons, if they didn't bring Benjamin back, was going to convince Jacob to send Benjamin to Egypt. Well, the famine we read in chapter 43, continued. And eventually the grain that they had brought back from Egypt was gone, and Jacob just says, we need more grain, so you, you boys need to go back to Egypt and bring back more grain. But Judah tells his father, he says, well, wait a minute. Remember, Joseph said, or not Joseph, but the, the, um, the governor said that if we return, we have to bring Benjamin or we're not going to get we're not going to be allowed in his presence, and he's not going to give us any grain. Jacob uh, Jacob says, nope, not going to do it. And the response is, well, then we're, we're not going. We're not going to go. And in the midst of this back and forth, in the midst of the question and answers, Jacob finally relents. And he says, okay, um, but prior to that the reason he changed his mind was because there was something different about Judah Judah's heart had changed look at verse 8 and Judah said to Israel his father send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would, we would now have returned twice. In other words, we could have been there and back. Send him with me. I'll be in charge. I will be the one who's Who's I, my hands? His life will be in my hands. I will keep him safe. If not, I will bear the blame. And his father says, Okay, but make sure you take a present and make sure you take the money uh, for the original grain that was returned and take more money for the new grain. And in verse 14, he sends them off with a blessing. And in that blessing, he prays for uh, Simeon and Benjamin to be returned safely, but he also acknowledges, he communicates his submission to the will of the Lord. Whatever the Lord wills, that, that will be okay. And in verse 15, it says, the men took the present, they took, the double of, uh, they, they took double the money with them and Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Joseph. Now, Joseph sees the brothers coming before the brothers see him, and he tells his steward, prepare a banquet. I want, I want them to come to the house, and we're going to have lunch together. I'm going to dine with them. And not knowing that they were at his home to eat, they began to wonder, why are we here? And they begin, again, that fear grips them, and they begin talking uh, with one another again, saying, this must be because of the money that was in our sacks. He's going to repay us for, for what's happened. And so they pulled the steward aside. They said, listen, we had no idea the money was in our sacks. We, we, we have no idea how it got there. And we've brought it back with us. We've not only brought back what, was, uh, what, what was, should have been left behind, but we've brought more to buy for the grain that we need. And to their surprise, the steward replies this way. He says, peace to you peace to you. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. He then releases Simeon and then he gives them water to clean up and he feeds their animals and when Joseph arrived they gave him the gift that their father had sent and they bowed down to him without realizing that this time this time, his first dream was fulfilled completely, because all 11 had bowed down. And Joseph then asked how the father was doing, how's your father doing? And to which they answered, he's doing well. And then he turned to look at Benjamin, his brother, from the same mother, and he knows who he is, but he asks anyway, acting like he doesn't, is this your youngest brother? And they say, yes. Yes. And he blessed him, and then as we might guess, he is overcome again with the emotions and the thoughts, and he runs out of the room and finds a place to be alone and to weep. And when he finally gathers his composure, he returns, and they eat together. But what's interesting about this this whole seating arrangement is that Based on custom, Egyptian custom, and and based on the cultic practices, and the, for religious reasons, or maybe it was just cultural. But regardless, Joseph is eating at one table, the rest of the Egyptians are at another table, and all the brothers are at a third table. And that's not all that different or or, or weird. But what what amazed them was that their seating arrangement had them eating in birth order, from oldest to youngest. And then they look down the, down the row, and Benjamin's got five times as much food. So there are obviously questions, but those questions didn't keep them from enjoying the party. And the next morning, we read that when the sun rose, they left. And we can imagine that the eleven were really excited when they left because everything couldn't have worked out Better. They were able to repay the money from the first trip. They had eaten at a party given by the second in command in Egypt. And they're bringing Simeon and Benjamin home to their father. Everything was going their way. All was well, but only for a little while. What they didn't know was that Joseph had instructed his steward to not only fill their sacks with food and all their money, but to also place his own silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And he told him to overtake them and accuse them of robbery and to bring them back. So he did as he was told, and he caught up with them, and he confronted them, and of course they denied it. There was no way. It didn't even make logical sense. They had just brought all the money back from the first time why would they turn around and steal the cup and they were so confident so confident that nobody had it they said look fine search our stuff if you find it who's ever sack that that cup who's ever sack it's in he should die and the rest of us the other ten of us will be slaves the steward says Listen, somebody should pay, but only the guilty person. So if I find the cup, that person will be the slave, and I'm going to send the rest of you home. Well, it didn't matter to the brothers whose plan they chose because they didn't have it. And he starts going through the sacks from oldest to youngest, and I'm sure their confidence grew with each sack where it wasn't found until they get to Benjamin's, and there it is and this upset them the shock and dismay overtook them they rend or rip their clothes in grief their joy that they were experiencing turned to mourning overcome with sadness and rather than continue to Canaan they turned around and went back to Egypt you see Joseph was again testing their character he wanted to see if they had really changed or not they had come back for Simeon with Benjamin. But would they come back for Benjamin? Daddy's favorite. Would they as they had done 20 years ago? And do what was in their own best interest? Or in the best interest of Benjamin and their father? Were they truly sorry for what they had done? Was their repentance that they had expressed unknowingly to Joseph. Was it genuine or not? He wanted to know. When they arrived they fell before Joseph to the ground. They threw himself at his mercy. And Judah pled their case. He went through the entire story of both trips. First time there and back. The time in between. And then there and back and then back again. And beginning in verse 30, Joseph's questions were answered. Judas said this, Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that, that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shield. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father all of my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. In that brief moment, on behalf of the ten, he humbled himself before Joseph. He expressed deep concern and care for his father, and he put himself forward as a substitute who was willing to bear whatever punishment awaited Benjamin for the sake of his father. And he admitted that his life was in the hands of Joseph. Judah had changed. They had all changed. And Joseph was convinced. And his response says it all. Look at verse 1, for the third time, his emotions get the best of him, but the previous two, he had run out of the room and weeped, and and he wept in such a way that he was able to gain control of himself. This time, he cast everybody out of the room except his brothers. And his emotions come to the service, and they erupt to the point that he wept so loudly that Moses said the Egyptians and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And in the midst of his tears, he looks in their eyes, and he cries out, I am Joseph! Is my father alive? His brothers were understandably confused Overwhelmed with their own fear The unexpected surprise and they can't get a word out So Joseph in an effort to calm their fears says Come near to me please And they came near Moses said That Joseph said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. The providence of God was Joseph's comfort. And he wanted the providence of God to be their comfort as well. The providence of God had led to his forgiveness of them. And now, it was leading to their reconciliation. Then he says this, My brother Benjamin, see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And after that, his I'm sorry, and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And if he was skeptical, if they were skeptical, and they, I mean, they would have been, it would have been a rightful, right, for them to think, what's he going to do this time? But if there was any skepticism at all, Pharaoh eliminated the doubt. Because Pharaoh confirmed everything that he had said by ordering Joseph to, to give them whatever they needed. Don't just send them home, but give them whatever they need to go home. And to go get their wives, and to go, to go get your father, to go get the wives, to go get the children. And oh, by the way, tell them not to bring anything back with them. They don't need to bring any of their stuff. Because I'm going to give them the best of the land of Egypt. And they would eat the fat of the land. They don't just need grain. right? They're going to have it all. And then in a the gesture of grace and goodwill that's a picture of the gospel. Joseph gave the very ones who had stripped him of his coat royal royal garments, a change of royal clothes. And then he gave them 15 times the amount of silver that they had received when they sold him into slavery. So what do we take away? There are a couple things that I want, us to, I want to draw your attention to. One now and one as we come to the table. And I want to tie it in with last week because this is all one story. Last week you remember, and I've already mentioned to it or alluded to it, uh, that the names Joseph chose for his sons uh, told us very clearly they spoke of the grace of God. And how he had been able to live in the present and toward the future because he had let go of the past. He had moved on from his past. He was able to move beyond the pain. He had moved beyond the betrayal of the sin of his brothers that they had perpetrated against him. And he was was able to look ahead. He was was now usable and and productive. In other words, he had come to the point of forgiving them. And to be clear, he had not forgotten what they had done. He had not excused what they had done. He didn't simply let them off the hook or dismiss their actions. But he had chosen, even though they hadn't asked for it, to lay down his own demands and desires to personally avenge the wrong that he had suffered at their hands. He chose to pay the debt that they owed himself. And, brothers and sisters, we are, we're called to do the same. We talked about this in, in our study of Philemon. Right? There's no limit to who we're forgi- to forgive, there, there's no limit on, on how often we're to forgive. We're to forgive. But what Joseph's story adds to that is that it his forgiveness, or he was able to forgive because he was request, he was resting in the providence of God. He was trusting in the Lord, who was not only the only just judge, but he was also the only one working in the midst of Joseph's dark providences. It is as we rest in Him and His providence that we are able to do the same. It's as we rest in Him and His providence that we're able to, in Paul's words, to keep no record of wrongs, to not be resentful, and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We who have been forgiven much are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. That was last week. This week, we saw that, Jesus, uh, that Joseph was reconciled to his brothers. Their relationship was restored. But that restoration took several years. He was able to reconcile not because he had made a unilateral decision to reconcile like he had made a unilateral decision to forgive. He was able to reconcile because Judah, on behalf of his brothers, had repented of the sin against him and had exhibited fruit of repentance as well. His or their words were one thing, but their attitudes and actions were another. They had accepted responsibility for their past. They had stopped their hurtful behavior. They weren't defensive. They didn't dismiss the hurt they caused or the sin they committed Their repentance seemed to be authentic. And it was confirmed by their attitudes and actions. That Joseph was objectively able to observe or able to objectively observe. And he did so over an extended period of time. And that was what enabled him to rebuild the trust. And for him to reveal himself for him to call them to himself and for her to for him to embrace them. And brothers and sisters, our reconciliation with those who have sinned against us is a process as well. It takes time. And the length of that process will depend upon several things including the heinousness of the sin committed, the severity of the hurt caused, the level of the trust violated, and whether the repentance of the offender is genuine or not. And we must be careful not to demand absolute reconciliation because forgiveness and reconciliation are not synonymous. Reconciliation and restoration of... uh, It it, it would be wrong for us to, to demand absolute reconciliation because reconciliation and restoration of some relationships without boundaries, pastorally, would not be feasible, may not be feasible, wise, or possible. But here's the good news. While absolute reconciliation on a human level may or may not occur, full, final, and absolute reconciliation with God is. It is not only possible, but it's a reality. And it's a reality for those who, in the words of the Shorter Catechism, with grief and hatred of their sin, turn from it unto God, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience, And receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. Reconciliation is possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the words of Paul, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thanks be to God that we have been reconciled with God and that we've been reconciled Lord, that reconciliation is ours in Christ. And that we, in Christ, who has revealed Himself, called us to Himself, and has embraced us as His own. Let's pray. Father, by your Spirit and grace, Would you enable us to receive the word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. For your glory and for our good, and for the sake of Christ and his church I pray, amen.